Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Mark Uesa. And this is Daniel Winter. And we're pleased to be joined this episode by a special guest, Quinn Brander. Hello. Well, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Happy New Year. Yes, New yes. Year. First episode of the, of, of the year. That's right. <laughs> so you're a local game designer. That is correct. Vancouver Proud. Yes, yeah. Uh, Mark is very much in uh, in tune with the local game design scene uh, in his previous life with uh, Test Coast Games. Uh, actually, I think you and I met probably at the Board Game Designers Guild of Canada meetings. It might have been there. Yeah, I mean, I've seen you at the other one as well, Vancouver Playtest. I'm not sure which right, one was first. Exactly, Vancouver Playtest also. And what I like about you, Quinn, is that you're well-rounded in a very <laughs> Omnigamers way because you are a board game designer, but you work in the video games industry. That's true. It's games all the way down. You're living the dream. <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, what are games to you? Yeah, I think games are a way for me to connect with like the people that I love mainly like that's the most important role so it's like a social experience so I grew up playing like board games like I'd play chess with my dad and I'd play Scrabble with my mom and I'd play video games with my brothers and so I think that's kind of where I got the the worm I find working in games to be such a fascinating thing because there's always something to learn it's always such a complicated puzzle to figure out like how to solve this problem. And the problems are always shifting and changing. I imagine there's quite very different going between, like going from a, say a board game, which is very much a solo, largely a solo design experience to a video game, which is generally a very collaborative experience. It is and it isn't. So a lot of the work of video game design is like collaborative, but a lot of it is also just like thinking through things, writing clean documentation, being able to formulate a good and coherent plan. And all that is kind of very similar to what it's like to design or iterate on a board game. I guess it helps if you know exactly what you're responsible for. <laughs> so it's all sort of um, assigned uh, in a clean way. Yes, indeed. I'm In a way, I feel blessed to not have any artistic ability because then <laughs> I don't feel burdened by trying to do that because I'm just not going to. <laughs> you, you mentioned games as a... As a Social experience. So, so even video games that you you do you largely lean towards more multiplayer games in that sense. Yeah, I think so. So my I guess my video game resume is mainly two games. One of them is uh, Phobies. It's a game that came out earlier this year. Or actually, <laughs> sorry, we're in a new year now. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't adjusted. I see. <laughs> Last year, and uh, that's like a, a multiplayer turn-based uh, strategy game. And so, yeah, that's uh, very much a social game. And then now I work on a game called Marvel Contest of Champions. And uh, that game has both components. So it has a very meaty single player mode, but it also has a lot of cooperative multiplayer content. Excellent. R- remind me, is that, is that the, the Marvel fighting game? Or yes, is that indeed. The... Okay, excellent. Yeah, it's <laughs> like a Street lot of Marvel games, as we've just, just discussed. Uh, we're talking about Marvel Snap before, <laughs> before we started recording. <laughs> That's right. I think soon we'll be able to just presume the word Marvel, uh, sorry, Marvel, and just say the other part because every game will just be a Marvel game. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what, what have you been playing lately? Um, we're Omnigamers, so I guess I'll mention a board game and a video game. So I played a really excellent party game on New Year's called Decrypto. Have you heard oh, of it? Oh, yes. Yes. It's on my shelf of shame, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you should take it off your shelf of shame if you can because it is 
really, really good. We played a, a game with nine players and it was so tense and it went right down to the wire. I think I like it better than Codenames and I Codenames is my favorite party game. So we have a new favorite party game. I, I do like Codenames. I've, I've heard that comparison before. Unfortunately, my group just doesn't get party games to the table very often. We tend to be like one big event game for the night and leave it at that. But uh, at Shucks last year, where where we, we met, <laughs> I was actually able to get a, in a lot more of those lighter party games. I, I got uh, just one. I played that for the first time at, at Shucks, which was a lot of fun. So uh, I'm actually about to leave immediately after this uh, to uh, Seattle for OrcaCon. So hopefully I can get some more uh lighter games in there and i'm sure decrypto will be will be doing the rounds excellent <laughs> mark have you played decrypto i have not played decrypto though i've been curious about it you know i always assumed that decrypto would be very dry and mathy because of its what is it code breaking theme can you give us a brief rundown of it yeah absolutely so i, I wouldn't describe it as dry although maybe it depends on the people that you're playing with <laughs> i was playing i happen to be playing with a bunch of lawyers and so maybe it was oh, just <laughs> right for the group. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, so in the game, there's two teams and you're trying to crack the other team's code before they crack yours. And the code is four random words. So what you're basically trying to do is like one person is like the code master and they're going to give their own team a clue that is going to point them to like a certain order of the words, like say like one, three, four. But they don't want to be too obvious. Like you don't want to just say synonyms of the word because you have to go through multiple rounds and the other team is looking for patterns in your clues, right? And so if they can figure out the pattern, then they'll be able to guess the number. And if they can do that twice, you lose. So you need to give clues that kind of go at it from different angles such that the other team is confused and they don't actually understand what you're referring to. Okay, um, so it's got a little bit of that open information that that code names has, but yes. with some hidden information that you don't want to give away. I like it. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm always amazed how many variations can be designed around this core concept of try and describe a word with 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 certain with certain restrictions, basically, and t- talking around a word like just just one, for example, has ways of eliminating what which words you can use, and so you're trying to to balance. Being being specific enough and being vague enough that you don't overlap, and and there's quite a lot of uh, playroom in that 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 one theme, basically. So a lot of games have been employing something similar lately. And the amazing thing about those games that you mentioned, you know, um, just one and uh, code, code names, names, yeah, is that uh, you know even you know even terrible games like Cards Against Humanity, mechanically they seem so quintessentially perfect. Like you cannot boil them down any, any more in a more refined, distilled way. It usually Pretty just involves design. one rule, and uh, I'm always amazed by that as someone who's tried their hand at uh, game design to to see. You know, obviously it started from somewhere really rough and they refined it, but it's always impressive to me to see a shining jewel like that just like hit every single time, like just one does. I think that is the one complaint I've seen about Decrypto, and it's a little more involved than say Code Names. It is, yeah, and it's a little harder to explain. So I think there's more restrictions on it, but I, I found it more exciting, I guess. Interesting nice. if you can get over that hurdle. There's a lot, lot to dig into there. Well, hopefully I can try that soon. Mark, what have you been playing on the table lately? Yeah, I'll mention one game, one video game and one board game as well. One board game that's older but newer to me is a title called Caverna. 
Uh, it's by, uh, of course, uh, our uh, Uwe Rosenberg. Uh, he's designed uh, a couple of my favorite games, including uh, Agricola and Le Havre, two games which are older, but I absolutely love. And uh, I haven't really gotten into his latter-day games very much. I think A Feast for Odin is on BGA, Board Game Arena. Caverna recently came to Board Game Arena. So I just, just booted up a couple of games without even reading the <laughs> manuals. Because, you know, everyone says it's, well, it's just Agricola with dwarves. Uh, a lot of that is true, but a lot of that is different. I kind of don't know what's going on, but I, <laughs> I'm just hanging on, right? I still need to learn more about it, but I'm fascinated. And as far as, you know, just a, a welcome twist on a game that's getting a little bit old under the tooth for me, Agricola, um, Caverna seems a little bit more my speed than uh, Feast for Odin. I'm not quite sure how to perfectly tune that one just yet, even though I know the rules a bit better. So, I don't know. Do you guys have uh, experience with either of those two Uwe games? I, yeah, I can go. Um, I love both games. Agricola is probably still my favorite game ever. Um, yeah, it's pretty and, perfect, like in that <laughs> distilled way. It is. And I find them to be experientially to be fairly different, even though it does share a lot of rules in common, in that like the design philosophy seems quite different. So like in Agricola, it's kind of like starvation thinking right <laughs> whereas in caverna it's like there's plenty and like you're not going to run out of anything and it's more about like optimizing your game but like it's it's not hard to feed or anything i i find the feeling is, is different kind of a product of its time that starvation thinking like along with <laughs> games like stone age and things like that you know very punitive games right Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had a, a very early experience with Agricola when I was just getting into the hobby and had a, had a terrible experience, to put it lightly. Um, it was like a two-player game and this other player had no mercy at all and offered no assistance and just <laughs> left me to starve. <laughs> I, I just a couple of years ago rediscovered it and, and have really come to appreciate it. And Caverna, in, in comparison, I struggled with simply because there are so many options similar to feast for odin it just in some of these other games where you have like 50 buildings available to buy at once and this huge sandbox and you just got to try and decide what order you want to build things in there's very little guidance in that sense but similar to mark i just recently started to revisit caverna on bga didn't didn't refresh the rules at all <laughs> but was able to muddle my way through it now i was actually surprised with how much more forgiving it is. There's a little bit more of a learning curve in just exploring though all those options and, and building tiles and everything. But you, it, 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 you had much more flexibility in how you approach things, and there were more options at any given time to feed your family. So I, I found it much less punishing and a little little more. I mean, the, the, the enjoyment of Agricola is one of those games where even if you're losing and, and your family is starving, you can still have fun just moving pieces around and setting up your farm and putting your animals in the fences. And it's a very tactile game like that. And I think Caverna lets you lean into that a little bit more. One of the reasons I think I like Agricola more in general is because Every game of Agricola feels a lot more unique and personal just because of the occupations and the improvements that you're oh, dealt. There's hundreds of those now, right? With all the expansions yes. and everything. Oh, yes. Yeah. Whereas with Caverna, like everything is on the table. And so you could play more or less the same game every time. And then, you know, it's almost tempting to do that because like, oh, I, I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm going to optimize this part a little bit more. So the the lack of restriction, I think, almost impacts the player experience somewhat negatively, I find. I, I heard that the Caverna expansion has like some asymmetric 
how it like, starts off. It gives you it gives you a little bit of direction at the start of the game. Mm. Um, so I'm very curious to try that just to give you a little bit of direction to, to push you from the start of the game. And uh, that, that sounds quite interesting. So hoping to track that down. I have been playing. I mentioned my shelf of shame earlier, and actually managed to get something off of it several episodes ago. I mean, probably six months ago now. We discussed Architects of the West Kingdom, a game that I was initially a little bit. I kind of bounced off it at first, but eventually learnt to find the love. And its follow-up, Paladins of the West Kingdom, was an immediate hit for me. So I finally dusted off Viscounts of the West Kingdom, the final game in that trilogy, and it's definitely the most unique of the three. The first two could very much be described as worker placement, but like the, the core mechanic is worker placement, but there are some twists on it. This is very much its own beast. It's basically a rondelle, uh, like a five, five part rondelle going around the central castle. And you've got a, a deck of cards that you're you're playing into this sort of tableau, this sort of sliding tableau. So you always going to have three cards in this tableau. You play one on your turn, and you've got two from the previous two turns that are sliding down. And each one will give you a special ongoing ability or some attributes, but it also like how control how much you can move around this rondelle, and that that you move around the board, invo- uh, interact with some mini games and and various things. So it's it's quite fascinating. I I, I bounced off it at first especially at two players, because it's very much indirect in interaction. So we kind of just each stuck to our own little part of the board and then ignored each other, which wasn't particularly engaging. But it's, I think it really shines at three. I've not tried it at four. Where the, 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 it's, again, because it's because it's, it's indirect interaction. You're just having more people moving around the board just creates this more dynamic board state to, to, and more things happening off, off turn to sort of shake things up a little bit. So yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying that one. Uh, I've played it like four times in the last couple of weeks. So looking forward to, to exploring it a lot more. Queen, have you, have you got any experience with the, the West Kingdom trilogy? Not, not aside from seeing it at a board game shop and being like, oh, I should try that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mark, you've, you've obviously played Architects. I don't remember if you've played either of the others. Architects, that's the one with Cathedral. Yes, I do yeah, recall you're, that you're one. placing out workers. You can round up other players' workers. Yeah, I I've played one more of those, and I I appreciate those games because they look really clean and sharp, and I I tend to enjoy the the variety of mechanism mechanisms in them, uh, despite the fact that they look similar and they sound similar. Uh, there is a decent amount of variety and uh, imagination and innovation that comes from those games, but they're just confusing. Like all the <laughs> all the kingdoms and all the trilogies and all the cardinal directions, I can't keep them straight. So in a sense, I kind of wonder if, if that is a disservice to that structure of having linked game trilogies. I don't know how many games of those Garfield games there are now, but um, I can't keep them straight. So I, I couldn't tell you which I have played or enjoyed more. It can get a little bit confusing with the symbols and terminology that, that have overlap with the games at different functions. So there is debt in each of those games, but some t- like the way in which you negate debt or what what what, re- what reward you get for negating debt is different in each game so it can be a little hard keeping that in mind and this this one especially was a bit of an acquired taste except it took me a, a turn a game or two to really get a feel for the tempo of it and lean into that but uh, if you're willing to, to commit the uh some time there's a, a lot of uh, fun to be found there why don't we flip over to the video game side of the coin mark why don't you start us off what what, what video games have you been playing 
Yeah, for sure. I've actually been kind of bouncing around a bit because I've stumbled upon a, a fun new technology, which I won't, won't go at length here because I think we have plenty of, to talk about today a bit, but I've been dabbling a little bit with this technology called uh, GeForce Now. It's been kind of cool, uh, and that's all I'll say about it. <laughs> but in terms of games that I have been playing more steadily, I'll mention a game I mentioned previously, which is called Tales of Symphonia. Uh, it's an old-school JRPG. Uh, in the renowned Tales series, and I'm still playing it, which is surprising me of <laughs> of, of anyone. Uh, it's surprising me the most of anyone because um, I've just been jumping from RPG to RPG, not really feeling a game that scratches the itch. And this one is just kind of kind of pleasant. It's innovative in its own way. It's got some interesting twists and turns, but it's just I don't know. It's it's the kind of comfort food that I need right now, and I'm surprised I've stuck with it. So I'm still playing that game. JRPGs can be uh, a, 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 a comfort food for getting through those those long winter months. I guess <laughs> they'll last you quite some time. <laughs> yeah, but they they do have a bit of a learning curve or a hump where you have to get over uh, before you really, uh, or at least for me, before I can sink my teeth into them. I guess they're all slightly different from each other, and whether it's the cast of characters that you enjoy or don't enjoy, or the gameplay mechanisms that you enjoy or don't enjoy. Yeah, I seem to recall the one Tales game I played. I got stuck on the first boss and gave up. So definitely a hurdle there. But uh, our fr- friend of the pod, Alex, from Meeple on the Moose, will be uh, excited to hear that. He, he left a comment on, on the last podcast. Uh, it's fine that he said, I, I really hope you continue with Tales of Symphonia. It's such a gem. Of all the Tales games I've played, it's the one I've enjoyed the most. Oh, f- fantastic. Yeah, thanks so much for that feedback. Yeah, it's it's enjoyable so far. And I think they're remastering it, actually. So maybe a whole new generation will get a chance to try it out. It is a little bit uh, old on the tooth. I think it was for GameCube. Or it's, it's around that PS1 generation. So it's looking a little, looking a little rough. But uh, it is still enjoyable. <laughs> Queen, are you familiar with the the Tales of games? No, I haven't played them myself. Um, they look cool, though. Yeah, they're pretty charming. They're basically like if a fantasy, you know, anime TV show uh, could be playable. It's it's pretty much it. It's it's a bit more fluff than than even other uh, JRPG <laughs> series like Final Fantasy. Nice. I I grew up on Final Fantasy, so it's like super nostalgia. Uh, JRPGs. What was awesome. your main um, benchmark for for Final Fantasy? Like, what was your your entry point or your your favorite there? <laughs> oh, entry point was probably Final Fantasy VI, but it was called three because it was on the Super oh, Nintendo. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But my favorite one is probably nine. Ooh, yeah. I played um, that recently and really enjoyed that one. Oh yeah, it's great. <laughs> Had I played that when I was a teenager, it would have blown my mind. <laughs> Nine is like the platonic ideal of Final Fantasy games, I think. It is. I, I don't know if you also spent way too much time playing the jump rope game. <laughs> I did. I do recall that. It's, it's smeared into my brain still, although you, you, had, you had to remind me of it. Oh, goodness. Oh, Final Fantasy games are good. For me, it was probably 4, a.k.a. 2 in North America, the one with the dragoons, I think. Mm, oh, it's mm-hmm. just so... So good. I actually, ironically, haven't played a lot of six, although it's got max. Like, who can say no to that? <laughs> it's pretty although, great. probably my fave of the later latter day games is FF twelve. Mm. I really enjoyed that one, and I like I trudged my way through it till the end uh, just recently, and it was pretty great. Did you beat that boss that takes like ten hours to beat? <laughs> I must have because I I got through it. Like, I think I cheesed some stuff, and I really appreciated that the the version I played on. I think it was Xbox had a fast forward button 
to to fight through a lot of the uh, battles because like a lot of the combat is automated, right? Mm, yeah, because you can you can train your, like your squad up. Uh, yeah. combat skills. Yeah, so the the fast forward is is brilliant for that. Totally. Uh, well, Quim, what have you been playing lately? Yeah, I, um, lately I think the most recent video game I played was uh, Tunic. It's mm. this uh, Zelda like yep. indie game where you play as this cute little fox and you're like wandering through a world, uh, kind of exploring and fighting other cute enemies. But the funny thing about it is that the gameplay is actually like pretty brutal and souls like. Yeah. yeah, that's that's one of the downsides of that game. It's a very twee, cutesy sort of Zelda. Um, art style, cute little fox, uh, but the yeah, very sort of Dark Souls like <laughs> combat that I don't think quite matches the tone of what it's going for. It took it me out of the not. game quite a few times. <laughs> yeah, it's true, but there's things I like about it. Um, yeah, like it's it's full of secrets, which is really cool. You know, like there's like if there's like a weird little corner, like you can bet it leads somewhere. Yeah, I've been thinking a bit about that one in, in like sort of as part of end of the year discussions. And the thing that really stands out to me is harkening back to the days of video game instruction manuals. Mm-hmm. This game has no tutorialization. <laughs> it just throws you in there, gives you a bunch of items, doesn't tell you what they do. But one of the collectibles you can find in the game is pages of the instruction manual. And but the thing is, it's written in this sort of winding, um, like symbols, symbols uh, language. So you, you can't you can't just read it outright. You have to like imply by the by the, the pictures and try and piece together what it's trying to suggest you can do. <laughs> so a lot yeah, of discoverability. It's yeah, it's like the game like actively doesn't want you to understand. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of secrets to be found, similar to something like Fez. Uh, you can the, the secrets go a lot deeper than you'd probably think at first glance. <laughs> totally. Part of the end of the year, I've been trying to wrap up some games that I had started earlier in the year and lost momentum on. The main one that I finally managed to power through was Disco Elysium. So this is this came out a few years ago, but I think it was just I think it was last year they came out with the called the Director's Cut, basically. This is this is a, a an RPG like your classic computer RPG with, with uh, a lot of text based things, That's something like Pillars of Eternity or Baldur's Gate, that sort of thing. This has no combat though; it's all just text. You're a, a cop in this sort of it's, it's an alternate it's a fantasy world that's very reminiscent of ours, something like uh, Eastern Europe. It's gone through multiple revolutions, sort of it's on, on the verge of collapse. There's some weird mystical magical things going on as well but largely realistic and so you you come in as a cop trying to solve this murder basically just talking to people as a text rpg the the really cool thing being though it's that all your skills are represented something like in the the pixar movie inside out where like you have emotions that that, that, are like personified and so you have all these attributes like you've you've got the the classic ones like perception and hand-eye coordination but then you have things like your sense of drama, your empathy, your authority. <laughs> but then I think some of them get really esoteric. And this is what I really lean into is one called Inland Empire, which is basically just the, your your gut feeling and hunches. And you've got your sh- shivers, which is basically tuning into the city, just having this sort of sense of what is going on in the rest of the city. The way these skills are, are brought in though, is you're, you're having a conversation and then you just have these silent checks. It's not like it doesn't tell you now checking for perception. It will just silently check if you hit this threshold. And then that attribute will just interject 
your authority will just cut in to the conversation and, and say, oh, I think this person's really suspicious. You should bring him in for questioning or something like that. And so, so it's this really seamless discussion, the way the, the way these, these, these emotions are constantly fighting with each other. Like sometimes you'll have two different emotions jutting in and both like disagreeing. So you've got to decide which, which instincts to go with. There's some really clever ideas it explores there. Have either of you played this one? I've owned it for a long time and I've never been able to get into it. Although uh, I think I will need to play it next because it theoretically it's right up my alley. It just seems a little bit unconventional and a little bit grimy looking, which shouldn't <laughs> put me off because I like unconventional games, but I guess it's sort of like foreign food. I have to warm up my palate to it. There is a lot of world building, I will say, almost too much that I you just kind of drown in all of this world building and the history of the world. Especially if you take well, one of the skills is, is encyclopedia, and this this it will just constantly jut in with these useless factoids about this world that have no no relevance to the current situation. It's like you, you notice the bottle or that someone's holding, and it's like, oh, this bottle is, it was it was made in so and so factory and and of this year, and <laughs> so it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed in that sense. But the, <laughs> the, the writing is very good, especially with the director's cut it's all voice acted now some very creepy <laughs> voice acting that your, your lizard the game in, like starts with your lizard brain talking to your limbic system that are just these wild uh, voice representations that sounds cool i haven't played it although I, i've been seeing some uh, tweets about it like i guess i don't want to spread rumors here but like i think some of the staff were laid off did you hear about yes, that yes there was been, there's been some controversy around the original like the i think the creative director was let go while working on the sequel, and so I know there has been some some issues there and disagreement with. The, like, I think it was the like the, the the people who funded the original game fired the the creative director. So yeah. I, I don't know what's going on there right now. Daniel, you were floating around the idea of talking about a sort of a game of the year recap. Uh, we can do quickly. What do you think about that? Yeah, it is the season for, for, for uh, thinking back on on the games of yesteryear. Uh, we can we can keep it relatively short to keep things moving. Quinn, are there any games that stand out to you as as your favorites of last year? I guess the one that everyone says is Elden Ring, uh, which I have been yeah. playing, and I do <laughs> I do admire it, but I also like I don't really like it very much. It's <laughs> <laughs> so that's not my game of the year, but I just have to acknowledge that it is a very very good game. Uh, but um, I don't know. One of the games that I found to be really interesting was uh, Marvel Snap, which I know that you guys mm-hmm. are planning to talk about next episode. So, so I don't so really want to yeah. yeah get into it because you guys are going to get into it. I don't want to step on your toes. But I think that that game does do a lot of fairly innovative things with the genre of like uh, collectible, collectible card games. And so I think it, it merits study. Yes, yeah, it's, it's got some fascinating comparisons to, to board games. So there's several board games that have it's been compared to like Airland and Sea. Very in, in terms of... It's a, a mashup. Yeah, very, very streamlined card game so it, it does take advantage of being a digital platform but you're dealing with a relatively small pool of cards restrictive as to where you can play them so yeah it, it's quite a, a good entry-level card game totally well uh, i i am very tempted to say that elden ring might be my game of the year <laughs> i did spend a lot of time with that game and it, i did sour on it a little bit by the end there's like the, the breadth of that game is just awe-inspiring every time you think you're nearly over a whole new part of the map opens up and it's just it literally takes the breath away when you, when you realize how broad this game is. And I think the, the pacing and, and difficulty towards the end does get a little bit out of kilter, 
but the the scale of it at the beginning, just exploring these wide vistas and the, the 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 music is so much better in this game, and so many different ways you can exp- like so many ways of building out your character. I, mean, I really did enjoy just living in that world and just constantly seeing what was next on the map. I'm going to list Elden Ring as a runner-up, just so we can make a clean sweep and say that everyone mentioned it. <laughs> uh, I'll mention it as one of my runners-up. Actually, I have uh, two games we covered recently: Vampire Survivors a very twitch game and then another game which is very narrative based called citizen sleeper two games mm. which we did full episodes on so i won't talk about them further but another game that really just came to my mind recently me and i, I will have to buy because i played it on game pass and then i didn't finish it because it expired <laughs> and i'm just kicking myself for for not beating it is a little game called the forgotten city Oh, yes. Yeah. It's a sort of like a first person adventure game. This is a gameplay loop game, as in the theme of 2022. You're you're stuck in this small environment. And if you die, you go back to the very beginning, you having learned new information about the small cast of characters, and then what caused this this mystery of this, basically this forgotten city of trapped, lost people. The characters are interesting. The environment is pretty cool. It's set in this sort of old Roman style, neoclassical, or I guess classical uh, architectural style. Originally, it started off as a, like a Skyrim mod or yeah, something Yeah, I was like about that. to say, that, that's how I played this. I, I played the original mod version of this game. Right, and it's now an official product that has a very cryptic message at the beginning saying, this is not related to any other game series that you might be thinking of. when the game starts so i i better buy this game when it's uh on sale because i like tight little quirky games that have a definitive ending and i just want to unravel that mystery yeah it's it's not overstate it's welcome for sure uh fun concepts without dragging it out uh i'm very curious how how it was polished up for the final version you mentioned citizen sleeper there which was also on my runner up it's tough because so many of these games uh we all of which we covered norco citizen sleeper and backbone all these sort of indie text heavy games that were incredibly evocative in the moment but they're i don't know the the memory of them kind of just fades is there's very esoteric sort of stories that it's really hard to lock my memories onto if you know what i mean but i i did really enjoy those good books and good movies will do that right the details will fade into your memory but they'll still burn their way into your heart a little bit so you have a fond memory of them yeah i I think citizen sleeper was my favorite of of, of those really good game really needs some attention there Mm mm-hmm Absolutely. All right. Speaking of good games, what do you think, uh, folks? Should we move into our main uh, segment? We didn't discuss our favorite board games of the year, but I think we'll save those for next episode. Yeah, let's do that. So our our featured game this episode was chosen by Quinn. So why don't you uh, introduce us to it? Yeah. So Hades came out like maybe two years ago. I heard people raving about it, but like I just didn't play it at the time. And then... I started working at a new company like five months ago, and uh, one of the guys I work with, John, uh, he was saying that this is his like favorite game of all time. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wow, that's pretty high praise. I should probably play it. So I played it, and it is 
really good. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think it's really interesting to think about and talk about why it's so good. So that's what we're here to do. Absolutely. Mark, do you have some details for us? So yeah. we obviously talk about Hades. So you're right, Gwen. It was from two years ago. So 2022. It's developed and published by Supergiant Games, and it came out for basically everything. Artists is listed as uh, Gen Z, writer. Sounds like a pseudonym to me, to be honest. Gen Z, seriously. <laughs> Writer is Greg Kasavin, who's a bit of a name in the industry. Composer is listed as Darren Korb. We usually like to start talking about, you know, kind of what generally, what type of game this is. So it's single player. It's a roguelite slash roguelike action role playing. And this this one I is tangentially kind of like a dating slash relationship management game. <laughs> uh, with not explicitly, to that. but basically, yeah. You can, you can impart a lot of your uh, desires onto this game. <laughs> there are some, yeah, I, I remember that uh, social media talk you were, t- you were mentioning there, Quinn, at the time. This came out, there was some really thirsty people out there on Twitter about <laughs> going on and on about their uh, Hades girlfriend or boyfriend at the time. Meg is to die for, for sure. <laughs> oh, oh li- quite literally. So sh- I guess we should cover the actual, like the, the setting of this game. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge Greek mythology buff, but it's ostensibly set in the ancient past, and it's entirely uh, set within Hades, the underworld. Uh, sorry, the underworld, which belongs to the, the god Hades, uh, which is the brother of Zeus. And you are the child of Hades, Zagreus, who, who I, I have to admit I didn't know of before playing this yeah, game. Yeah, lesser known underdog of, of, of the Greek mythology. <laughs> but pretty much every other god and demigod you can think of, you got your uh, Athena and your Ares and your Poseidon, obviously, but you also have stuff like Sisyphus is in there, I think, and Hypnos, the god of sleep, and uh, Achilles, the Greek war hero, sorry, the Trojan war hero, I should say, and uh, Nyx, the god of uh, night among a rogues gallery of Greek mythology monsters like Medusa and um, Minotaur. uh, Minotaurs and, and, and things like that. So how would you describe this, the general structure of this game then? I think it's a two-part structure. So you've got your runs, and in your runs you're trying to make it uh, out of uh, the underworld. And so you're going to be passing through, through these like four regions, uh, but Probably in your first run, you'll just die in the first region. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there are four. And uh, and then at the end, you fight your dad. Uh, very Freudian, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you die, because eventually you die no matter what, then you go back to uh, the underworld. And that's where there's this other part, which is more about like character customization, about building relationships, about learning more of the story. It's like a, a slower pace. It's like your town kind of uh, feel. Yeah, so I mean, I, I've played quite a few rogue-like games over the years, and like my, my my real entry point to this genre was Binding of Isaac. But those those older, uh, the, the, those initial ones are very much just do a run, go get as far as you can until you die, then start over. Uh, sometimes you're unlocking uh, sort of things as you go, but this, this whole idea of a meta game is relatively new. This sort of second wave of roguelikes that have basically th- things for you to do in between runs. And this is very much leaning into that. And I dare say it's pretty much the perfect framing for that in terms of giving giving a um, explanation for why why you keep dying and how you go to go back to Hades <laughs> and, and, and try again. But the 
way in which everything is eternal. You're, you're stuck in this eternal limbo here. There is no, there is no death. There is no like hard feelings. Your, your dad is constantly like literally killing you, and then just <laughs> goes back to being like the boss pushing papers at his desk in, in between runs. The structure is very propulsive. I pr- I'm probably not the only one who feels a real big push to just start another run. As soon as you get mm-hmm. through that second phase of the upgrading and town building and relationship building, you just want to try out that new weapon you unlocked, or you just want to see how far, how much further you can get with that upgrade that you unlocked as well. Or you just need, you know, three more keys to unlock this level of it, of upgrades or, or this or that, or there's, quests and things like that and it's all propelling you forward so that you really don't get down in the dumps when you you will inevitably (laughs) die it just goes on and on and pushes forward and forward and forward and that's what impressed me about but mark you are petting the dog right (laughs) every single (laughs) one of the three heads (laughs) every single time i have a rule that i have to pet the dog I have to talk to Achilles every time he's there. Well, basically, I'd make the whole round, uh, <laughs> make the whole loop. It's, it's funny, like you said, Daniel. Like this game has a, a really roguish, excuse the pun, uh, kind of wry humor to it because everything is treated as very, very mundane within the rules of this universe. The bu- bureaucracy of Hades. <laughs> the bureaucracy, the the dry humor about, you know, reg- regicide and patricide and infanticide. <laughs> and uh, just like cousins who are killing each other and, and nieces and nephews who are trying to betray their their uncles and aunts. And, you know, I'm sure there's incest in there somewhere. <laughs> but it's all treated as very normal within this world. And Every time you die, you come out of that pool of blood and hypnosis is there waiting, ah, oh, Died again, hey bud. Gotta, gotta watch out for, the, for the, those minotaurs. Yeah, and Sisyphus, who's going through eternal torture, rolling that rock up the hill, always has time for a, he's, a he's cheerful very, very hello. Chipper. Yeah, I, I've, read, I've, been, I've read some interesting analyses on, on how Sisyphus is so. Not to say that he's he's given up, but he, he, he just resigns in a, in a very satisfied way to his to his role. And, and, seems and to be taking a break to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't see much rock pulling to be honest. <laughs> what are they going to do? Kill him? That's right. So, Quinn, uh, obviously you're coming at this from uh, a gamer designer's perspective. So what do you think this game is doing successfully to give us all that sensation that we just got to keep playing it? Yeah. So maybe like we could talk about there is this like distinction that is sometimes made and sometimes not made between roguelikes and rogue lights. Yeah, so, very movie uh, shifting definitions there. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So often they're just used as the same, and that's fine. But I think it's helpful to think of them as different. So like rogue like with a K is like when nothing carries over. So like mm. when your run is done, you're back to the beginning, and like the only thing you've gained is maybe some knowledge and some skill, but you haven't gotten more powerful or anything. Whereas with rogue lights, you actually have some kind of extra layer of progression. So in that sense, Hades is a rogue light because uh, when you complete a run, you, you come back with stuff. You come back with darkness and gems and et cetera, and you can use those to make yourself more powerful, which will probably means that you're going to go farther in your next run. Yeah, that's a real second wave of the genre I was trying to get at here. I'm trying to think of um, a rogue legacy, I think, was one of the big ones that pushed that. Yeah, uh, where you're, 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 you're throwing coins into upgrades in between runs. Yeah, there's a literal town that you're building outside of the castle walls. Because it's essentially roguelite Castlevania, right? Yes. You're, yeah. You and generations of your kin are trying to attack this immortal uh, vampire uh, in this castle. 
and you're you're literally the offspring so the game takes place over generations and generations but without that town it would be it would be pretty depressing to just hit that wall and die every time but i think that the softening of it the easing of things that rogue lights allow such as rogue legacy and and, and obviously hades is that even if you die, you, you've made a little bit of progress. You know, mm. the, the the end of the tunnel is looking a little bit closer. Either mm-hmm. you, you've got resources to plug into distinct upgrades, like you, you these gems that go, it's literally like 10% more damage, or like here's a, a, a death defiance, which lets you basically, it's an extra life. But even if you don't have those, so those gameplay bonuses, there's also just new character bits to unlock. Every time you go back, a couple more characters want to talk to you and you can unlock some conversational trees. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of nice things that Rogue Lights and Hades in particular do to soften the feeling of losing because like no one ever likes losing. It's always a feel bad moment, but you can make it feel more bad or less bad. And so like when you die in Hades, like it's, yeah, you, you died and that sucks, but there's things to look forward to, right? Like you get to talk to characters and you get to advance storylines and like, the stories and the the voice acting is all like top notch, and so it actually is a reward in itself. You know, you get to customize your character yeah, that's a good point. while making yeah. while making it stronger. Like you get to try a different weapon. Maybe every the next time you do your run, it's going to be completely different. So there's like there's all of these little elements that they've thrown in there to make it feel okay that you lost. It's not just a game over screen. It's the, it's just pushing forward to a different phase of the game, basically, and very much built into it both mechanically and thematically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's true what you say. You really can't spend all the goodies you've been collecting unless you die. So it's sort of presuming and designed so that you you have to die to have those numbers go up. One thing that I was uh, remarking upon when you were mentioning there, Quinn, is that this game sure does look good. Like the yeah, art, yeah. the character design, the color design, it's all so lush. Like I don't even know how to describe this aesthetic. It's comic book slash digitally really slick i don't even know what to call it but it's very very attractive so and distinctive 2d animation on this i mean there might be some 3d models hidden in there but it looks looks largely 2d on an isometric plane top down angle that you're playing from generally yeah i believe that it was largely created by two artists just making massive amounts of assets for <laughs> two years yeah like animation styles i imagine you, you mentioned yeah, it came yeah. out two years ago but this was actually an early access game that's true which kind of yeah. fits the model i think it's very much why they went with the roguelike format because it was, it was something they could add to over time I, I only played the final release i'm not sure how it felt going through that but it i imagine it in a sense it kind of added to the sensation of not just unlocking things per run, but as, as time literally goes forward in the real world, things are getting unlocked as well. Something I wanted to point out, it, it kind of touches on what Mark was saying earlier about how they handled pacing. So I think a lot of games tend to thrive when they have a similar structure to like um, story structure from like a movie. So like you want to have like rising action, right? But you don't want to have it just constantly rising with no breaks or it's just like, it's too much like you need to have moments of rest but then but then the the tension needs to ratchet up higher than it was at the highest previous point right and then it all comes to a head at some point and i think hades does that really well in a couple of ways so like one of them is like when you die that is like you know the the point of tension breaks and you go down to the lowest point of tension but then there's also even moments of rest within a run 
because um, you know there are rooms where you're buying stuff from Charon and you're not in any danger, and there are rooms where you get healed. Yeah, uh, we mentioned earlier. Sisyphus, yeah, where you can have conversations, and then there are, and within a run, there are also much harder rooms. So you have sub bosses, you have bosses, and and so this like basically creates a nice variation in pacing that helps the the game maintain interest over uh, hours. You come to have favorite enemies, hated enemies, dreaded <laughs> enemies. You obviously develop your strategies. You start having relationships, not real relationships, but <laughs> affinities <laughs> with your weapons. Yeah. You obviously have your favorites, but even to make it so that someone doesn't rely on just one weapon, they they give this little buff to one of the range of weapons. Isn't that right? Yeah. Well, why don't we talk a little bit, little bit about the actual combats here? Yeah. So there's there's one or two weapons that you start with. I think it's just like the sword it's and the, the shield. the sword, isn't you, it? I think... Yeah, that you start with. And you have to unlock the other weapons with these keys that you collect over the course of several runs. And and you might not gain access to all, what is it, six? Six weapons totally. But then each one has like four aspects, which changes up how they function, which is that kind of whole other currency that involves. But there's, there's, six, base, there's six core weapons that you choose one of which at the start of your run right there's three sort of permutations of uh, offense i guess you'll call i'll call it is so from a xbox uh, controller perspective the x button is your standard attack the y button is your special i believe it's called and the b is is sort of unrelated to your their weapon of choice it's it's cast? The, the, the cast yeah so it's a sort of this like stone that you throw out this gem that you throw out and in some cases like when you choose the, what are they, the fisticuffs, the, the, the gloves, the cast will be your only ranged weapon. Mm-hmm. So uh, for, for that reason, I think they included that there just so that you aren't totally without recourse, uh, depending on the weapon you chose. Okay, but, well, before we go on, what, what's our favorite weapons? Oh, good uh, question. I just recently unlocked the 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 SMG. Pretty much, it's, <laughs> it's like a semi-automatic weapon. Fun, yeah, it's got the grenade launcher attached to it as well. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I always like RPGs with shooting, <laughs> so that's 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 easily a, a win for me. Uh, yeah. I I, um, I, so I I actually finished this game like last year and, and just re- revisited it for this. So I didn't actually get to try all of the weapons again, but. Fellowship, my favorite is actually surprisingly to myself, at least, is the shield. Mm. I found it very versatile because you can just you rush up and just slam them with the shield, or you can throw it like Captain America style and it bounces off around um, like between enemies. Uh, I think it's is there an, oh, sorry, there's a dash as well. You can sort of dash forward to, to bash with the shield. So it's, it's a surprisingly versatile weapon. I found. Uh, for me, it's it's almost it's almost hard for me to choose a favorite because I enjoy the variety. So like, mm, I right. basically just go with whatever is incentivized. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I do really like the um, the bow. Like, not having to get too close to the enemies to be able to kill them is nice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I generally go towards bow assault weapons in most games. So I was surprised that it wasn't my favorite. Here. <laughs> and it's amazing how they've tuned these upgrades. I, I, mean, I think they're they're pretty much designed to work specifically with the the weapons that you're you're carrying so that uh, through the course of uh, the runs on each sort of, uh, I don't know, stage, you're going to ha- basically earn a reward at the end of it. And that's usually not, not always, but usually related to the sort of a, the boon of a God from the Pantheon. So it might be Athena, it might be Ares, it might be Poseidon, but uh, you're going to, you're going to gain a boon and you actually gain one the moment you leave your, your sort of bedroom window. 
uh, which is always fun. To go. <laughs> That's another thing that makes me, you know, just like itch to go forward. It's just like, uh, I just finished this run, <laughs> but I want to see what my starting boon is. So you, so you meet one of the gods, they chat, chat you up and, uh, the upgrades, you're going to have a choice of three, I think in pretty much all cases. No, I, there's less than three sometimes, but not more than three choices. Yeah, if you're doing the challenge runs, you can limit it to two, but otherwise it's, it's three. Yeah, right. And uh, there's they are going to have sometimes a range in rarity as well. So there's going to be like common upgrades, rare and epic, even and maybe even higher than that. But yeah, they all seem to be tuned to the weapon you've chosen. Largely, yeah. Like, well, I mean, I I, th- I think they're always the same, but the way that those upgrades interact with your weapon might be vastly different like some will just work better like some one ability might be for zeus say uh so it's whenever you hit an enemy a lightning bolt spawns or now when you throw your throw your shield that's bouncing between enemies each enemy it hits is a, is a lightning bolt so like all those rap, those rapid fire guns would, would function better with that too for example as opposed to just the slow short sh- uh, sword and it's yeah. fascinating how they map those abilities to not just uh, your attack, but also potentially to your cast or to your mm. dash as well. So you you know take Zeus again. You might zap uh, an unwary uh, enemy as you're just dashing dashing by them without <laughs> even touching them. You might just zap them just by your proximity. And then you know it's a sort of an interesting choice. It's like do you go for depth, as in do you stack all of your upgrades on one of your attacks? Or do you spread them out and have all your upgrades applied to each sort of weapon style? I guess I guess it depends on your style with that weapon. You know, do you rely on just the cast? Sometimes I, I like to just just really pump up my cast until yeah. it's like just a <laughs> brutal killer. Like especially I, if it's um, I, th- I think it's is it Ares who who gives you like the, your cast turns into a spinning blade. That's like oh, some, yeah. that's one of my favorites. <laughs> or the ones that give you extra casts, right? So usually yeah. you have two or three, but sometimes you might have four or five, and that's brilliant. So there's like multiple layers of balance going on that make this game feel good to play like combat-wise. And a lot of that was tuned in soft launch, um, like early mm. access. Um, so they, they relied on a lot of like user data and also a lot of user feedback to ensure a few things so like they wanted to make sure that the the most efficient way to fight is using all of your abilities so you want to be using your cast you want to be using your heavy and you want to be using your basic attack they also wanted all of the weapons to be roughly balanced and all of the boons to be you know at least uh viable in some circumstances and so like there's a lot going on there and uh you know i i think they largely succeeded uh which is pretty incredible yeah, one thing that's pretty universal to all roguelites that I can think of, whether it's you know an action roguelite like Rogue Legacy or Hades or strategic one like Slay the Spire or FTL even, uh, is variety. So you, if you like variety, if you like to mix things up, like these are the types of games for you because you can try things, you can iterate on them, and you can see the results right away pretty much. Unlike a lot of traditional JRPGs or RPGs, CRPGs, you might just be, you know, grinding and grinding, grinding for hours just to get a plus one sword. And then you pretty much do the same thing. You hack away, but you're, you know, 10% more effective. 
Yeah, you're getting constant evolutions to your playstyle here that's shifting things up. So there's something like 10 gods, I want to say. And each one basically has an archetype that all of the boons that they offer has a general twist to it. Like Zeus's upgrades mostly involve spawning lightning bolts. Uh, Dionysus involve uh, sort of a debuff, like a, po- a poison debuff, basically. Hangover. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, what, what's his name? Hermes. Hermes. Yeah, I was, I was literally thinking of Hermes. Uh, he's all about, like, go, go, gotta go fast. It's <laughs> generally increasing your speed, basically. Yeah, I like one so, of his powers is, I was talking about cast before, and he has an ability that makes enemies drop the cast faster than usual. Mm. So basically you can cycle them back faster. And I really, really love that one. Something that I find uh, really nice about uh, Hades and like rogue lights in general is that they don't actually really have that many things. Like there's only six weapons, right? Maybe if we're being generous, then there's 18 weapons. But like, if you compare that to a JRPG, like there's going to be like hundreds of types of like armor and weapons and mm. things you can equip, right? Accessories and all that stuff are assets that have to be made by somebody, right? And but the difference is that like in JRPGs, they don't feel different. They just feel like the same thing, but like with higher Plus stats. One attack. <laughs> yes, exactly. So like, but like in Hades, even though there's only six weapons. Um, because they combine in all sorts of unique ways with the boons and with the Daedalus hammers, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the, the actual result is an enormously more variety. And so like it works really, really well for indie designs because like indie uh, developers don't have that many resources. Like they can't afford to make hundreds of items. So they have to m- make the most with what they have. Yeah. And just, and in, in obviously the, the number of ways in which they can combine is obviously a huge <laughs> number, basically. Every combination interacts with the other abilities slightly differently in a way that you end up with this huge permutation. And I should say even both both um, passively, but also sometimes if you, if you double down on, say, two gods, at some point it, it might give you a special power-up that is a hybrid of those two together. So suddenly, Zeus's lightning bolts directly does poison hangover damage from Dionysus. <laughs> Absolutely, and like every once in a while, you'll find these like really overpowered combos of boons or uh, boons and Daedalus hammers, and you'll just like s- like sail through the run. Uh, and like in a way, like that's kind of like a balance designer's worst nightmare because like <laughs> we're trying to avoid that, but it works here because you can't re- replicate it, right? Like that's a disaster in a board game because in a board game, often if you find a hole, it's like you just do it every time. But you can't in Hades. Like you just right. it's a one it's yeah. a one off. Yeah, there is a lot of discoverability in that you you, you oh, sorry you, you force to improvise with the abilities you get. There's at least at the beginning of the game. There's very little ways to direct the sort of upgrades you want. Like it's it gives you three options, but you it has they all have to be they're all going to be a Zeus upgrade, uh, or you, it might give you the option of two brooms, and you can see well this one has Zeus and this one has Poseidon, so it'll give you these slight ways in which you can tweak or nudge the direction of your of your build, but you can't it doesn't, it doesn't overwhelm you with um, choices early on, and then but then over time it does start giving you opportunities like it's like a re-roll dice i think to like change what what the reward of the room is so mm-hmm. there are, w- once you're familiar with it once you're starting to figure out what you're looking for you can start nudging it a little harder so i have a question for you two guys i presume that you've both finished this game 
I saw credits. I will say that. <laughs> okay. Yourself, yeah, I'm not sure what it means to finish the game. There's so much. It's story. by design. It's, it's pretty much the, an eternal game. Like nothing ever ends in in the end. Right. Well, that's sort of what I want to get at. Is that I haven't I haven't reached the final area. I've reached the. I think you said there were four areas, Quinn. I've reached Elysium, which is the third area. Yes. Yeah. Got mm-hmm. to the end of that. Beat. There's two bosses. I won't spoil who they are, but I beat one of the two bosses and got the other one pretty low. But it, you know, you. It, you sort of like have to build up your uh, your metal, you know, steel yourself to uh, go back at it against a boss that's just beating you down after a while. And I guess my question is, you've both beaten it. You both walked away from the game. You know, when did you walk away from the game? Did you just feel like, oh, I played this enough. I saw credits. Uh, I'm going to move on to something else. Or, you know, was there was there something that pulled you back? Or, you know, what 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 tells you you've you've done with a forever game like this what's the thing it's 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 not exactly a forever game unlike most roguelikes there is an explicit story here right uh at some point and you're i think you're relatively like basically uh mild spoiler but what you get killing hades for the first time will reveal a big arc as to what your primary motivation here is but then you have to work at that a few more times and there there, there is this constantly shifting goalpost of, of, of what your ultimate goal uh is and eventually you hit the point where you hit credits you you've fulfilled the main goal you're trying to do credits roll then throws you back into Hades, and it does have a there is a cool framing device as to why you keep doing why you keep running and do, keep keep going, uh, but there there is a lot more to see beyond that. So there is both mechanically and and thematically. So you've got there's just more character interactions you can try and work towards, but there's also you can ramp up difficulties. There's this thing called Pact of Punishment, I think. Mm-hmm. This basically lets you customize various difficulty modifiers and i've been pushing up against that i will say i have not beat it at the first level beyond that partly because i've come back after a long hiatus but i that's not the, my drive like i saw credits I, I got most of the the catharsis from seeing the end of the story i'm not feeling a lot of push to keep going for the sake of difficulty Right. Yeah. I know that there is like a kind of like a true ending that I've spoiled for myself on YouTube, but <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 uh, in a perfect world, I would do it myself, but I just don't have that much time. So yeah, I, I did, I did read about that myself as well. There, there is another ending beyond what I've seen, but I, I'm pretty happy with what I've gotten. I think. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I guess I'll just come out and say that my opinion of Haiti is, is very, very glowing. I it's, it's definitely like a, all-time great, I think. I don't know if it's in my top 10, but like just from the design, from the execution, it's just such a stellar game that I could not really hesitate to give a recommendation to this. But that said, you know, I probably won't keep playing very much longer. Mm-hmm. I guess I do enjoy a lot of roguelites, but they're generally the shorter kind that have shorter runs. Like I yeah. enjoy Slay the yeah. Spire. I enjoy Monster Train. Those I mean, are both Vampire card-based. Survivors caps out half an hour. Vampire Survivors is great. And the one thing I'll say about those is that those types of games tend to have a little bit more, I guess, like they're they're more obvious in the way that they have knobs that you can turn on to tweak the the repetitiveness. So they have these, you know, modifiers or um, some of these uh, negative modifiers as well, uh, or some of them even have like. Uh, a run of the day 
uh, mm. a, a game of the day, a, a sort of a twist daily uh, challenge that's programmed uh, daily by based on an algorithm, I suppose, or possibly by the programmers. But they can do those sorts of things. I think Hades doesn't really have that because it's in that more traditional mode of like you are the upgrade, right? Like the mm. better you are, like that's you know that's that's how more effective you are. Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess if I had to criticize Hades, which I wouldn't choose to do voluntarily, <laughs> then yeah, there probably is more that they could have done in terms of like varying the enemy types uh, across runs because it is always the same guys. Um, mm. And you do get to build mastery over them, but it can maybe lead to some feeling of repetition. Look, I, I will criticize the game. Uh, there's a few things I've struggled with. Part, like A huge primary one is that the orientation, like, it's an isometric angle but you're playing it like diagonals and i kind of mm. struggle with that sort of pointing myself in the right direction maybe it's just a mouse and, and keyboard thing but it's just i found it really quite hard to aim and orient myself when it's like diagonal instead of um mm. north south east west uh and similarly i, I think there's sometimes it is, it's just a very busy screen there's a lot going on at once especially in those later areas and it can be really hard to keep track of what's happening what Things, what, what bombs are on the ground are yours? What's the enemies? <laughs> like you have to do attacks so fast. Like, this the pacing is, is can be quite tricky, especially considering the the art. Like the, I, I do love the art style, but sometimes not everything is completely readable when it gets really hectic. That is totally fair. Yeah, I'm controller input all the way on this game. I am with most games, but I think I like action RPGs that have controller inputs. And I think this is a very great execution of that with those four face buttons uh, I was mentioning. Yeah, I, I wanted to go back and, and restart it on Xbox to see what the, like first to, to re-familiarize re myself with the that big starting arc, but also the what, what it feels like to play on Xbox. Unfortunately, it's since left Game Pass. It's a brilliant Steam Deck game mm, for, okay. for those who have the platform. It's, it runs like just, perfectly like no performance lagging the text is quite legible like it's just perfect for runs on the airplane or, or what have you because uh yeah it's just brilliant it just plays perfectly <laughs> one more thing i'm surprised we haven't mentioned yet P possibly my favorite thing about this is i have to i have to glow about the music for a bit <laughs> mm -hmm. darren Corb might be my favorite composer in video games and like even before hades came out and i think this is my favorite of his um, of the work he's done, uh, it's like it's a lot of folk influences, a lot of metal in there that I I, I really love. I, I regularly listen to it outside of the game. <laughs> yeah, you listen it to the soundtrack so well. Yeah, that it's also um, him singing. By the way, I think he voices Orpheus. Oh, wow. oh, cool! That song, whatever it is, by Eurydice, I think, is just so haunting. That singer, Absolutely. beautiful vocalizations i just like don't want to hear her talk i just want to hear her sing. <laughs> like, stop, stop having interactions i just want to hear the singing uh, i guess i should uh, listen to the soundtrack it's, it's yeah i i i feel like a whole darren cole playlist on spotify that i go to every so often nice well i feel like we've talked pretty glowingly about the game we've covered a lot of ground uh, i i it would be don't want to wrap things out without mentioning that of course they've announced uh, hades 2 Yes, yeah, we actually we we'd already decided to cover this right before they announced that, which was perfect timing. Uh, I don't we don't know much about it yet. There was a a, a animation, sorry, a cinematic uh, trailer at the Game Awards, 
And basically all we know so far is you're not playing as Zagreus, you're playing as his sister, I'm blanking on her name. I don't know, <laughs> I'm very rusty on my Greek mythology. Do, do we know it's a sister or like it could, I, could it be his daughter? Oh, I think I think I did read that it was his sister. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Some, yeah. Hey, sometimes it's a sister and a daughter. You know <laughs> 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 Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah, just the Greek gods, right? <laughs> it's a small pool. Yeah, it gets pretty messy back there. But a couple other things. Obviously, this has the super giant narrator, right? Because they're the they're the transistor people, aren't they? Yes. Yep. So it's got the same quote unquote old man narrator that uh, Zag likes to. Equipped to breaking the fourth wall there. Yeah, yeah um, Melino, M- Melino, the Hades' daughter and the sister of Zagreus. Okay. That's all we know about the game so far. And I think the, the only thing I read about it was that they were going to touch upon some lesser known gods, mm. which, which might be nice to. Yeah, so know. there was a few names popped up in the trailer that I didn't recognize. Uh, they're not, they're not I, I think. It seems to me they're trying to completely redo every character being different. They're not just returning to those same classic gods. It's very curious, though, is that this is the first sequel that Supergiant has done. So I'm curious to see how they go about um, iterating on on that rather than uh, trying something new. Well, I just can't wait. I think that I guess maybe they'll get a chance to try out something different, you know, see what they would have done with a more modern post Hades uh, world (laughs) of action uh, roguelites that has uh, cropped up since then. Yes. I I say bring on the Hades multiverse. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. All the, all the Hades all the time. (laughs) Well, Quinn, since you mentioned, uh, you suggested this game to us, I just want to ask, you know, what else, if is there's anything else, uh, you know, a special perspective, a special, you know, maybe personal moment that made you suggest this game as, as your game of choice? Well, yeah, I guess it was just like, um, it was a nice bonding uh, game with my coworker. And, um, and I just like, uh, got really into it. Uh, and I admire it, it like that it's such a polished quality prototype from such a small studio, even though, you know, they're a very experienced studio that have already put out like a bunch of hits. It was a I, small I, team that worked on this. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 12 people. I, I think, I think I remember hearing 12. Yeah. Yeah. Very impressive stuff. I think, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask the question, who are you dating? <laughs> oh. <laughs> who's, your, who's, who's your favorite character? <laughs> Meg. Yeah, for sure. Definitely Meg. <laughs> oh, Meg's great. Step on me. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Oh man, Ares has that cool face makeup there. It's very kind of 80s like slash uh over the over the eyes, I think. Oh yeah, but you can't date him. You can date uh Thanatos. I, I, oh. didn't, even, I didn't even get so far as you can actually date people. I don't know if that's actually a thing. It is actually a thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow, it's a true Sorry, I, I, I've thanked too much of the the, the, the mana. What, what is it? The, the, there's a resource you can give people, but I haven't, I've so rarely actually give it to them. <laughs> I see. Well, you kind of have to like give some of them those that mana because they will give you like a, a little trinket, which will give you a, sm- a small boost in each of your runs, I believe. True. Or you could just give it all to Cerberus because he's a good boy. <laughs> good point. The bestest, bestest pal. <laughs> Strategy tips from Quinn. <laughs> what about oh. you, Daniel? What what makes this a special game for you? Uh, well, I should, I should mention my favorite character. I mean, in terms of mechanically, I think it was, um, I think it's Athena, who's very much about like deflecting enemy projectiles, which is always a lot of fun, just dashing through these walls of, of bullets, basically, <laughs> and then running around. Uh, but 
I think I have to, just in terms of favorite character I actually use, I think I have to say Eurydice. Just because every time you enter that room, partly it's just it's a, it's a breather, as, as, as Quinn was talking about, those, those downtimes. But you just you enter the room and just hear that, that, that song come on, that haunting voice, and it just it, it always soothes me getting to her room. So that's, that's probably my favorite. <laughs> but uh, in terms of the game, yeah, I, I really enjoy in roguelikes, roguelites, <laughs> uh, the sense of discoverability and this experimentation. I don't want to have to craft the perfect build. I want to be surprised with what it gives me and have to improvise with that. And this really lets you lead into that, which I've, uh, yeah, I always enjoy. So it lets you try to constantly discover new weird combos that you never would have thought of otherwise. (laughs) Yeah, here, here. I I echo that. I I usually much more enjoy strategy games, especially turn-based ones, because I can play at my own pace. But this game lets me, has enough of that RPG angle to make me feel powerful when I can pull off a a quick room sweep and destroy all the uh, bad guys really quickly. Uh, It makes me feel really, you know, like the hero of the moment. So uh, that says something from the guy who just, you know, never got past the first level in Contra sort of, sort of thing. (laughs) Contra. That's a a blast from the past. (laughs) Oh, I'm a blast from the past (laughs) when it comes to games. All right. What do you think about uh, talking about your upcoming game, Quinn? Can you tell us a little bit about Rebuilding Seattle? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, So Rebuilding Seattle is a board game that's coming out uh, this month or like starting this month, you know, next month. It's uh, coming right up. I have my copy right here in my house, one of the early copies. I'm really excited to be able to show it to my friends, the real version finally. And, um, and it's an exciting and nerve wracking time because like, you know, the first reviews are starting to come out. And so I'm like, I hope they like it. I, I just saw Rodney Smith <laughs> got his copy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. He's going to be doing a watch it play. Um, and, um, oh man. So something funny happened. Was it, it was yesterday. So Rado played the game and then he, he had like a roundup, a video where he talked about it. And, and then I like, I, I, I got a notification for it cause like it showed up on board game geek. And so I listened to it like kind of right when the video came out and he was describing the game and he's like, Oh, I love this part. And I love this part. And I love this part, but this, the events, I just really didn't like how if someone triggers the event and you didn't trigger it, you get nothing. And I was like, Oh, that's, it's not how the game works. So, (laughs) so I wrote him, I wrote him a comment in the video and then he responded. He was like, Oh, I missed a paragraph in the rules. And Mm. then he actually took down the video and edited, edited the part of, talking about my game out and he's going to play it again with like the, with the real rules and then like, and then talk about it. So I really appreciate that. That's like such a nice thing that he totally didn't have to do. Wow. That's really professional of of him. Yeah. I am vicariously proud to say that I participated in the playtesting of rebuilding Seattle way back in the day on paper and cardboard. So you sure did. Yeah. Gave some great feedback. Oh, thank you. Well, I think maybe it was you that was complaining that the suburbs were too small possibly yes yeah and then they got bigger so good job (laughs) hey thank you well i thought the game really had a lot of meat on its bones even back then and and obviously so much promise and so i'm so glad to hear that you found a publisher and uh, i was also excited to hear from daniel that he got to try it out at shucks this this past con so uh yeah i i can't imagine the day is coming for you you must be feel like a proud papa (laughs) yes yes i am uh like it's it's kind of nerve-wracking putting something out in the world because um it's just like 
it's away from you now. You know, it's going to live its own life. Um, people are going to make their opinions about it. And like, that's just how it is. Like, so it, it's, it's a weird feeling. It's true. Just like a proud papa, you know, you can, <laughs> you're going to have to let the game talk, talk for itself. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, I, so I played this at Shucks, as you mentioned. Uh, and I, I think I, I put some thoughts on that in the Shucks episode uh, a few, a couple of months ago. Uh, but I yeah, obviously did really enjoy the game. I have to ask though, what, why Seattle? Ah, good question. Because I designed the game as basically like a series of mechanics. I, I didn't really have, a particular theme in mind. And, and then when it was signed with WizKids, uh, Zev was like, we think that this game fits really well with the history of Seattle because there was mm-hmm. a fire and like you're building up like a downtown. And so we, we think that this theme fits with your game. So like, if you want to sign with us, basically that's what you should expect. Perfect. And I was like, that sounds great. I love Seattle. And uh, I think that fits really well with the mechanics. So it was a very thoughtful um, proposal. Yeah, it's not just an arbitrary reskin. Uh, do you have to have to bristle a little bit, I guess, as we <laughs> mentioned that um, Vancouver is very much known as always playing Seattle. And now you have a, a Vancouver design game that's been reskinned to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very on brand. No, yeah, that's too small. You got to think about expansions and uh, and uh, sibling games. <laughs> yes, indeed. We're going to rebuild all the cities. There you go. Rebuilding Vancouver, re- rebuilding Tokyo. After the bombing, <laughs> rebuilding London, it's I, I can see it now. Uh, Christchurch, I think after the after the earthquake. <laughs> Absolutely, but but we're going to do the Monopoly route, so we're not going to redesign the game at all. We'll just slap a theme on it and print it. Here, here, <laughs> here, here. I'm all for that. It's the USAopoly of it all. <laughs> I like it. So, can you tell us a little bit more about um, the video game that you mentioned, Phobies, as well? I think it's on iOS and Android, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's a game that I've worked on for uh, similar to my board game. Like my board game took it ages. It took like seven or eight years to make. And then this video game I worked on for almost five years. Uh, and so that, yeah, that came out like mid last year. And um, so that is a turn-based strategy game. Um, it's free to play. And uh, it's like a really meaty game. It's basically like kind of like modernized chess in that there's no randomness and there's generally no hidden information. So it's all planning and like good strategy and so it's built on these like there's like uh, over 130 uh different phobies that all have their own abilities and their own strengths and weaknesses and you collect them and then you kind of deploy them on a map like phobies will range in cost so they they have like mana in the game we call it keys and so if you want to spawn like a bigger phobie then you have to kind of save your keys up for that or you can kind of like spawn a bunch of smaller phobies and try and do like a swarm tactic and um, the balance is is, uh, is pretty good, I would say. Like, th- there's a, a lot of different viable strategies. We have lots of different types of maps that will also kind of vary what what is more likely to work and what maybe is not a good fit for that map. The big innovation with that design, I would say, is that we have two modes. So we have kind of a more typical like real time mode where you'll play an entire game in like 20 minutes. Um, you know, you'll take your turn, you have like a minute timer and then your opponent will take their turn back and forth until, until somebody wins. But then we also have this mode that we call async or asynchronous, which is like, you take your turn and you send it to the person Mm. and then they have like a couple of days to make their move and then they send it back. So it's very much inspired by like board games, like board, I should say video game implementations of board games (laughs) or like, like, uh, words with friends or something like that. Um, but kind of adapted, like within a free-to-play model. Yeah, that's that's kind of the phobies in a nutshell. 
Excellent. We'll have to check that out, I think, and, and take a look in a future episode, perhaps. Yeah, it yeah, sounds excellent. right up the alley of a tabletop-loving video gamer. Yes, awesome. yeah, perfect uh, perfect overlap of uh, Omnigamer uh, mentalities. <laughs> yeah, it very much captures both of my interests like quite well. Excellent. Well, anything else you'd like to plug? No, no, that's I've, I plugged all my things. Okay, well, where can people find you or more information on your game? Ah, so yeah, I am on Twitter (laughs) because Twitter still seems to be a thing. I'm also on Hive. So on on both, I'm Quinn Brander. We'll see if Twitter continues to be a (laughs) thing or not. We're always just like waiting for the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's true. I left with the rats. (laughs) I I intended to leave and then didn't. (laughs) Well, you never know. I appreciate people that did. You can turn itself around. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's been such a pleasure having you on, Quinn. I know that we've been talking about having you on for a while. You definitely have the credentials to be called an Omnigamer, so uh, <laughs> glad you. to have you on. That's been great. Awesome. If you think about another game in the future, don't hesitate to let us know. Will do. All right, Daniel. Anything else you want to mention? Yeah, well, I, I, I should I should mention, speaking of Seattle, I'm about to leave to OrcaCon. I'm literally going to pack my bags and, and go first thing tomorrow morning as of this recording. Uh, t- t- OrcaCon, a board game convention in Seattle. So looking forward to that, catching up with some Shucks friends and other uh, Pacific Northwest people. So I should have a lot of board games to talk about next episode. Uh, but speaking of which, we are covering a board game next episode. Uh, and we're, uh, we do have a, another special guest lined up. But that game we are covering is Dune Imperium. Dune, like Sand Dune. So I th- I sounded How like you were mentioning <laughs> the, the, the month of June. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> very true. I'm looking forward to playing that as well. Because I think it'll be a good counterpoint to our Arnak. Very well, first episode of Arnak, Arnak yeah. You can find, find us on Twitter at OmniGamersClub. And our website omnigamers.club and uh, contest us at omnigamersclub at gmail.com yes yeah if you have any comments on on Hades or questions for Dune Imperium do let us know thanks again Quinn thank you thank you yes that was a great discussion it was great to have someone with an insight into to game design yeah this was a great conversation awesome well we don't have a, a way to sign off so I'm just gonna say bye <laughs> bye bye <laughs>